Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Nearshore Flounder Off Atlantic Beach, and I'm going to be talking to Captain Nick Nance out of the tackle shop Chasing Tails Outdoors um, in Atlantic Beach, and we're going to be talking about locations, nearshore locations, gear and rigs, bait versus artificial, and then ultimately the techniques used to target nearshore flounder off Atlantic Beach. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest effort, the podcast series where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their thoughts, their insight, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. In this endeavor, I'm joined every week by podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Hey, Billy, are you ready to talk some flounder? What's up, Gary? Man, it is flounder season here on the coast of North Carolina, so I'm pretty stoked to learn some more about how to catch those flatties and put them in the oven. Fry them, catch them, (laughs) kill them, fry them. Dip, whatever. Talk about food, please. Talk about how to cook them, Gary. That's my only question. That's my only questions. Not that I submit questions to the show for obvious reasons, but I want you to figure out how to cook these things better. <laughs> All right, anyway. I will. I'll see. I don't. I don't know. Nick and I didn't pre-show cooking them, but we'll see, man. I mean, uh, I, I think he's going to tell you how to put, as you call them, those flatties in the boat, man. Look at you looking using lingo, man. It's like you're part of the fishing community using lingo like flatties. And uh, yeah, man, Nick is yep. highly regarded as, you know, in several areas, but near shore flounder, man, I was told he knows what's going on in that Moorhead Atlantic Beach effort area as much as anyone. Flounder Pounder is probably what he is. That's the rank. No, anyway. no, no. That's you. No. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll keep it. I'm not. Yeah. Anyway, that's a, that's a, that's an old friend of ours, Colby. If he's listening, he, that's who, that's him. That was his name. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'll move on to sponsors. Uh, we want to thank our sponsors here, Marine Warehouse Center and SRD 20. I got a quick message from Marine Warehouse. And we'll be right back. At Marine Warehouse, we have everything for trailer, trailer parts, engines, engine parts, new boats, boat parts, a full store. We have a service department. We are your one-stop shop for marine equipment and hardware. We offer a wide variety of parts and accessories for all your marine needs. The best part about working at Marine Warehouse Center is to help customers really get the most out of their coastal lifestyle and share our love for the water. At Marine Warehouse, we're here to get you out on the water because of our love for the water. We like being out there and we want you out there with us. There you go, man. Getting you out on them on them flatties. <laughs> on them fatty flatties. <laughs> <laughs> they are. You do not want with flounder season being one month, you do not yeah. want to break down during flounder season. But if you need any assistance, Marine Warehouse is there. And as we've tried to brand, sales, service, parts, and they are certainly part of the fishing community. So if you call them up in a panic saying, Man, I need to get back on the water. There's only X amount of days left of this flounder season. They'll understand you. They'll help you out the best they can, but I know they will understand your pain. Don't flounder around. Call Marine Warehouse now. <laughs> anyway, okay. That's brilliant. Dude. It was perfect, wasn't it? I'm gonna I'm it's gonna move brilliant. on. I'm gonna move on because you may or may not see Emmett when you go. Just to let you know, he's been hot on the trail. He's been going to a bunch of different events. And Gary, he is at it again, man. He's been spotted out in the wild. 
and he is at another sporting event. He's a big sports guy. I've, I've become to know uh, this. Okay. Big sports guy. He's at another sporting event, and this is your first hint for this segment called Where in the World is Emmett? So when Where in the World is Emmett? All right, so I've already given you one hint. Your second hint is it is believed that the word blank, which is the name of the sport, derived from an earlier version of the game played by monks in the 12th century. Their version of the game involved throwing and catching a ball while shouting this word, which means take heed. Where is Emmett? (laughs) I think you've given me a great hint. Take heed. So I should be able to solve this if I try to deduce a little bit, but I am drawing a blank, throwing a ball and shouting cricket. Not cricket. Tennis. Hey, all right. <laughs> There's Emmett enjoying a tennis game. <laughs> he should be why he shouldn't be looking at the camera. He should be looking at that guy getting ready to serve. You know what? He's a photogenic kind of guy. When you see him out in the wild, he'll turn around every time. Get that picture. So anyway, there's Emmett. If you guys he loves the out, camera, and the camera loves Emmett. Boy, everyone knows that. The camera loves Emmett, and Emmett loves the camera. <laughs> I've been waiting for some people to send some real photos in, like like taking pictures of Emmett at the grocery store or something crazy. So uh, I've just been waiting on it. I know it's going to happen. Somebody's going to remember the segment and send us in a photo <laughs> of him shopping. Maybe. I think that's a big fat maybe. <laughs> or maybe photos we don't want to see. So don't send those in. Um, all right. Another sponsor here. we got a new sponsor, SRD20. You can go to srd20.com and check out all their products they have to keep that boat shining up spiffy after you kill all this flounder on it and get your blood and scales and all that fun stuff on there. So they sent us over a bunch of product. Um, and, and so we've been, uh, checking it out and drinking. I mean, not drinking. I didn't say drinking. I have not been drinking it, Gary. I've just been spraying it on stuff and and cleaning it. (laughs) Lawsuit. Lawsuit. You know what? Don't drink it. That's what idiots do. Um, but no, it's what idiots. Do. They reached out to us and said, "Hey, we want to sponsor the show. We like what you guys are doing, and they have some really awesome products. And they've sent us some. Um, and I, you can use it on your boat, your car, your you know whatever whatever kind of you know vehicle you have outside. Um, and so I know Gary, he sent you some as well, which you're probably not going to clean your boat until spring, or you're going to pay some poor kid that lives in your house <laughs> allowance to do it. So whatever." <laughs> You get your kid on the um, podcast. Let me know how they think I about li- it. I like I like the assortment of products. Like the graphene spray is just sort of like to set you up for the year. It'd be the equivalent of putting wax on your boat, although it's easier than wax, quicker than wax, lasts longer than wax. But like also in that shot was the waterless wash and wax. So that's more for maintenance. And I like the concept there. The one on, you know, at least on my left is like pull the boat out of the water. You don't have a hose handy. You don't have water handy waterless wash waterless wash and wax they have both products you know spray that scum line that water line right there after you pull out the boat and it'll keep that hull looking shiny so i like the concept of waterless wax i mean waterless wash and then waterless wash and wax great products i am looking forward to using them i do clean my boat i do take care of my boat i use the boat often i just don't fish off of it often i am fortunate Mm -hmm. that i get to fish on other boats Right. Yeah. All right. So anyway, I, I don't want to talk about it. I don't even have a boat and it's cool, but I will tell you what, 
the guys over at srd.com uh, or srd20.com have put us some links in the show notes. So they sent us some links over, sort of some discount codes and stuff like that. So if you're Good. serious, go over there and get a little discount and get that product shipped to you and check it out. Really, really generous of those guys to, to do that for us. So appreciate them sponsoring the show. And now I'm going to show you a fish photo. We got George Powell Jr. of Hatteras Village caught this 23-inch flounder on a Z-Man paddle tail jig head in Hatteras Inlet. So, uh, dude, good-looking fish. And I'm not going to call BS on the 23 inches because look at the mouth on that thing, man. That thing is huge. So, good job. Yeah, man. Someone knows their way around a the camera there, too, man. That's a great angle. It's, it's a great-looking great photo. Like, I like everything about it, man. Like, look at that. That's a... That is someone who's saying, I know how to take a good photo and get it published, and they certainly have succeeded. Yeah, man, it's a good-looking fish. So thanks for sending that in. You guys be sure to send all your photos in to Fisherman's Post and uh, have a chance to be in the paper, have a chance to be on the <laughs> podcast, all those fun things. So, And what else, Gary? Weekly Fishing Reports. Real quick, I'm going to pass it to you. Tell them what we're doing. Yeah, man. So we've been doing it all season and we're in our groove, fully in our groove. Weekly fishing reports at fishermanspost.com. You know, I'm not talking about the newspaper that still does monthly. I'm not talking about the website that still does monthly for free. I'm talking about the website behind a paid wall that does weekly fishing reports. So if you ever wanted quality fishing reports delivered more timely, we've got it. Subscription basis, monthly or yearly, depending on what your interest is talking to several top guides from up and down the entire North Carolina coast. So we have 11 geographical areas on the website in the newspaper, and each one of those geographical areas are covered weekly by our inshore captains. I'm talking everything from North Myrtle Beach, Ocean Isle, Southport, Wrightsville, Topsail, up to Swansboro, Pamlico, Hatteras, and Northern Outer Banks. So you certainly want to check it out. Um, great guys, great communicators, great ambassadors, and trying to help you out with knowing what's going on and help with planning your weekend or your week ahead of fishing. Boom, Gary. I don't know, man. You, I don't even know if you know that's coming. I always just throw it to you and switch the camera, so you have to be right on. So it's awesome. But, yeah, man, great reports. It's been a ton of fun putting those together, so go check them out. And, um, yeah, man, I'll be back at the end of the show to share with you my best takeaway. <laughs> Billy's best takeaway. All right, man. You guys have fun talking about flounder and ask him if he has got some good recipes. I'm curious. Captain Nick Nance, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast. Man, we have we hang out pretty much at the Moorhead Fishing School every year. Maybe I run into you at Chasing Tales, but mostly it's the school. We appreciate you being here. Again, you're fishing all the time. You're fishing um, one of the charter guys out of Chasing Tales Outdoors there in Atlantic Beach on the causeway. Man, they have been bolstering up that part of the business model. And I think you're right in the center of it, if not the lead of it. And we appreciate you being here talking about Nearshore Flounder. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. Uh, appreciate y'all. Uh, great podcast y'all putting on now. So. Well, I'll tell you what. We are happy to be here, but as happy as we are, no one gets on the podcast without answering two questions. So you tell me you're ready. I give you the first question. Go ahead. All right. Nick Nats, Captain Nick Nance. Why should we listen to anything you have to say about a flounder? Anything. Why should we keep tuning in? Uh, one, I've been a, I moved down here about 10 years ago. 
and took my bass fishing background from tournaments and stuff like that and put it toward the salt water. And in the last, I've been chartering for the last seven years with chasing tails basically. And I've took that bass fishing knowledge and techniques and learning how to read water and applied it to fishing in the ocean sounds and stuff. And it's worked. So I've, I've just, Learned how to do it along the way. I mean, it's just fishing. They're flounder or just a uh, uh, predator fish, just like any other fish. So you just have to learn what, what they're going to eat and where they're going to be. It don't take, it's not rocket science. <laughs> well, all right. Well, I like, I like a simple approach to fishing. I'm looking forward to talking nearshore flounder with you. And I know people are very curious about flounder. You know, a lot of pressure on one month you know, when it does come around. So they're eager to hear what you have to say. But I do have question number two. It is a non-fishing related question. If you're ready, I'm ready. All right. All right. So here's how I tried to get, quote unquote, tried to get creative with your non-fishing related question. Chase and Tails Outdoors is owned by the Lamb family. I'm fans with the entire Lamb family, but of course I have the most relationship, longest relationship with Matt Lamb. So these questions involve Matt Lamb and actual lambs, actual sheep. I'm gonna give you a statement about a lamb and you tell me if that characteristic about a lamb holds true for Matt Lamb. Do you understand the game so far? Yeah, I do. All right, lambs, sheep are clever animals. That is a true statement. Is that true about Matt Lamb? Yes. <laughs> Good answer. Lamb's sheep can self-medicate. Is that true about Matt Lamb? No. <laughs> All right. Lambs and sheep, and this is a true statement, are emotionally complex. Is that true about Matt Lamb? Yes, very. <laughs> Lamb's sheep, and again, another true statement, are highly social animals. Yeah, that'd be true about All that. Right. And then one last one, lamb sheep have rectangular pupils. Ooh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a no too. <laughs> enough yeah. of my dumb, enough of my dumb working Matt Lamb in here. I'll, I'll do anything to get that guy to watch this podcast. Let's talk about nearshore flounder off Atlantic Beach. And again, the logical start is locations. I mean, you know, if you're not where the fish are, then doing everything right doesn't matter. So when we're talking about nearshore targets off of Atlantic Beach, how can you help us out? Where do we want to go? And I'm not necessarily saying I want you to name the exact spots, but what are the habitats off, off Atlantic Beach that are the most productive when it comes to nearshore flounder? Well, for me, um, a lot of your nearshore wrecks, any hard bottom that you can find, um, get you a good top spot map or some type of mat. If you got good electronics, the new electronics nowadays have a lot of good mapping. Um, um, also, the side imaging helps a lot uh, with finding um, hard structure and stuff up and down the beach. Um, 
a lot of times I stay within three miles of the beach, but you can go on out 10, 15, 20 miles out and find flounder on live bottom wrecks, um, stuff like that, ledges. Um, they can be right on the surf also. So, I mean, you can fish near, as near shore as it can get right in the surf um, around rock jetties. Um, uh, little ledges and stuff along the beach. Um, so I'm going to look for any hard bottom I can find. Um, if I'm at a wreck, I'm not going to necessarily fish the wreck itself. I'm going to fish the edges of the wreck. Um, a lot of times there can be fish on top of the wrecks and stuff, but majority of fish are going to be around the wreck. They're not going to be necessarily on it. Um, so I'm going to look for where the edge of that wreck is or that hard bottom, and I'm going to fish around the edges of that stuff. Um, not necessarily, you know, um, going to try to, I'm going to try to stay where I'm not going to get hung up as bad. You're still going to get hung up, but I'm not, I'm trying to stay where I'm in the strike zone longer than I am off of it. Um, okay. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ask a follow-up question because I follow everything you say. So, and this is a question I often ask when we're talking about near shore fishing are when we're talking about flounder, are you most confident when you're fishing a wreck? Are you most confident when you're fishing live or hard bottom? Are you most confident when you're fishing ledges? Like what's the top spot that you think is more often more productive? I, truthfully, I'm going to be confident wherever I go um, that there's any hard bottom because um, they can be at any of it. Uh, that's the thing is they're going to they're ambush predators. So they're going to use any hard bottom, hard surface um, to blend in so they can ambush prey like cigar minnows, mullets, whatever's out there, pinfish, um, even other fish that's there they're going to use any of it. so it's not necessarily one's better than the other there's days where i've been on some of these ar wrecks that they have that so much multiple uh bottom structures other than wrecks they have pipes they have old um rail cars stuff like that so one day the pipes might be better versus the wreck or stuff like that so and some days of these fish can be in a very small, tight group, and they only be in a 10-foot spot, 10 to 20-foot spot on the whole entire wreck. And other days, they're scattered all over. So it's just I try to put myself in a high percentage area, which is going to be closer to a ledge of the wreck or something, where it drops off or where I know that there's just scattered structure where I can just work those edges and those where it goes from sand to hard bottom. That's kind of what you're wanting is that hard bottom to sand where they can just use to hide and ambush bait. Okay. Again, I'm following that. Um, so here's my question, you know, another follow-up question. I'm not very good with electronics. Are, you know, are you able with flounder hugging the bottom, are you ever able to see anything on your electronics that makes you think that's a flounder or those are several flounder? 
And then my other question about electronics, I don't have side scan on mine, you know, separate from that first question. The second question would be, how does side scan help you when you're near shore flounder fishing? Um, to answer your first question, no, normally I do not mark flounder. I may mark other stuff. I may mark bait and stuff like that. Um, I mainly am looking for the structure itself or where the bottom tells me it's a soft bottom to a hard bottom. You can tell that by the cut. If you have colored electronics, some of it will change where the hardness, you can tell the hardness of the bottom based off the way you got your settings on the electronics. Um, now, when it comes to side imaging, what side imaging does for me is it finds pieces of structure that I may not usually see on a wreck. Um, or if I'm going down near a wreck, I may can see it. All right. It's, even though I have waypoints and stuff, but when I'm, I'm always searching for new stuff that, you know, either they put out that I didn't know about, something's uncovered. Um, I'm always looking for something. So I have the side imaging, and one of the things also side imaging does, and I use my trolling motor. I'm a spot locker. A lot of people don't like it, but it has changed the game in flounder fishing in general. So when I'm spot locked on a piece of wreck, I can use that side imaging to tell me how close I am to that edge. Because on one side, I got it normally reading both left and right sides. So on, if it's on the right side and I can tell that that edge is that I'm close to that edge of that structure or the wreck or whatever, I can sit there and I can tell like my clients to drop it on one side of the boat, not the other, and not get hung up as bad. But I also can keep them in that high percentage zone of getting a bite. So it makes a big difference in that um so it's two things there with the side image. I'm finding structure, and then I'm also seeing how close I am to the structure when I anchor up. All right. Well, man, I think I'm going to move on to the next topic. But, you know, I guess instead of going gear and rigs, I guess my thought first would be, where are you in the bait versus artificial when it comes to near shore fishing? Like, do you, I'm, I'm guessing you go out loaded with both. But where do you lean or where do you put more emphasis first? Or what are the conditions that make you think more bait today and then the next day it might be more artificial? Well, normally I'm going with both. I'm going to have bucktails with gulp shrimps, which is the mainstay around this area or in our areas that has been catching flounders for years. Um, I'm going to have those rigged on, and I'm also going to have the flounder rigs with live mullet um, more than anything. Um, there is days where I've seen them bite a bucktail over a live bait. It is amazed me on days like that. So there's days I'm going to have both when I go out there. I want both. So if I have four people in my boat fishing, I'm going to have two with live bait, two with bucktails, or vice versa you know, trying to fill out what they want. If they start hitting the finger mullet or live bait better, I'll put everybody with a live mullet. Um, more or less, a live live bait is almost a guarantee uh, for something to bite because uh, there's always other fish out there uh, in that near shore uh, situations where you're going to catch everything on a mullet. Everything eats them. So 
a bucktail is just going to sometimes if you start getting into some a lot of trash fish with it, you can go to the bucktail and you catch less trash fish and you can still catch the flounder. So a lot of times I'll let that play in my role of whether I fish artificials or live bait. If I start catching sharks and other fish like the lizard fish, oyster toads, sea bass, stuff like that, I'm going to may go to the bucktail. You know, I may still catch some of those trash fish. I'm not going to get as much or as many bites trash fish wise on that bucktail as I will the live bait. All right. So let's go first. I mean, that I, I thought that would be the approach, man. You would want to have both. Anything can work on a given day. So if we first focus on the bait fishing, when you're bait fishing, I guess, explain to us your rig. I'm going to guess it's a, a Carolina rig. And, you know, so give us a little bit of detail about the rig you like. And when we're talking three miles off Atlantic Beach, I'm, I hope I'm not sounding like a fool right now, but what are we talking about? 50 feet of water? You know, is that is that where we are when we're three miles off of Atlantic yeah. Beach? Yeah, roughly you're 50 foot. I mean, anywhere between 40 to 60. I mean, if you push out a little bit, it'll be around 60. But most of the time it's that 50, 45 to 55 foot range. So um, my when it comes to a live bait rig, yes, Carolina rig or flounder rig, however you want to call it, it's all the same. Um, and everybody rigs them differently. I, I have found for me, I use braided line as my main line. Uh, I like to do a 50 to 60 pound leader, uh, mono leader tied to my braid, just like if I was throwing a lure for trout or something, but I'm just using a bigger, heavier piece of leader. Um, and I'm going to do a little longer leader, like a three to maybe a three foot piece of leader, but I'm going to put my egg sinker on and then I'm going to tie it to my swivel with maybe a 30-pound fluorocarbon leader with a 2 alt kale or wide bend hook. Um, I have found that that, break, that uh, mono with that egg sinker sliding on that mono, it is more brazen resistant. And if you get some grouper bites, because they're small groupers, young groupers get on some of these wrecks and stuff, and even some keeper groupers. They will jerk that thing, and what happens is if that braid touches that side of that wreck, it'll cut that line instantly. It's just something that I've come up with that I feel like I get a chance that maybe catch that grouper or something like that, and if it that egg sinker doesn't rough up my braid and all that braid's great, it's, it's got the most sensitive sensitivity, but with that egg sinker on that braid, it just wears it down and causes it to fray and break so i do a three foot piece of uh 50 60 pound mono with my two ounce egg sinker and then tie it to my swivel and then about a foot and a half 18 inch leader for a finger mullet or for a two alt hook and i put a finger mullet on and drop her down and uh, is finger mullet by far the favorite bait i mean are you ever dropping pogies or pinfish or it's it's mullet is my go-to. It's my go-to here. Um, I have talked to other people that that pogies and um, uh, flounder eat anything. I mean, I've ca I've caught them with lizards and lizard fish in their bellies, and I've seen them with you know other flounder in their bellies. So uh, the bigger the fish, 
the bigger bait they can eat. I mean, big, uh, small croakers, pinfish, um, little pogies, they'll all work. It's just a, a mullet to me, just seeing a rent up here or in this area just works inside and out. It works. All right. So now let's talk about your, you know, what you tie up with artificial. Like, tell me about your terminal tackle if I'm bucktailing it with you. If I'm going to bucktail, I have basically the same rods and stuff that I use my Carolina rigs. I will do, I will do a 30 pound fluorocarbon leader to my braid, which is normally 30 to 40 pound braid is what I use mostly. I can't go down to 20, I mean, 20 to 40. You don't have to have a real heavy braid uh, to do either one of these. So I just like the braid for the sensitivity. But when I do a bucktail, I normally do about a two-foot liter of 30-pound fluorocarbon, tie it straight to it, and put um, a two-ounce pro bucktail or an ounce and a half, two ounce. That's my go-to, either white or glue um, with either a white, four-inch gulp shrimp or a glow chartreuse uh, four-inch gulp shrimp. Uh, sometimes I'll go with some Z-Mans, um, jerk shads and stuff, and, and I'm looking to try the new Z-Man Doormatter Z, see how they work um, this year. But in general, that four-inch gulp and that two-ounce pro bucktail, it's hard to beat. Um, man, people love specifics. When you're tying that bucktail on, are you tying it on to the fluoro leader with a, a loop knot or are you using more of a cinch knot? Uh, I, I use a uninot more than any other knot out there. I, it's quick. It's simple. It's easy to tie. Uh, I do a double uni to tie my leader to my braid, and then I just do a uninot to the top of the bucktail. Um, I don't try to get fancy with knots. A uni knot will hold about as good as anything, um, day in, day out. Okay. So now I guess what, uh, how I'll set up the next section we're talking about is like, I'm on your boat and we're pulling up to, you know, some stuff you're seeing on the machine, some stuff you think you want to fish. And we'll say this isn't an area you're like uber familiar with. So you're kind of checking it out too. So when you pull up to an area, you know, walk me through what would happen. I'm on your boat. How do you check it out? How? Do, what are you looking for? And then ultimately, what happens before you say, "All right, we're going to start fishing here." Um, a lot of times, if it's stuff new stuff, I'm going to look for. I may ride around it a little bit, but the one good thing about the trolling motors these days with that spot lock is I can anchor up wherever I want on these ledges and space if i'm not exactly where i want to be to begin with they have this jog mode that you can jog that thing five ten feet left or right so a lot of times if i'm not exact where i want to be i'll start fishing and then work my way towards where i think i need to be more so and i'll try covering water that way um and i'll i'll just pull up there and just start fishing. I ain't really going to look at it. I'm gonna, If I feel like people are getting hung up, I might move more to get closer to an edge. But if that fish is there, it they're normally very aggressive normally. So when you first drop, you're normally going to get bit fairly quickly if they're there and they're ready to bite most of the time. 
they're pretty aggressive, especially in the ocean, because sometimes they don't get a meal. They can't be as picky as they are inside sometimes, because inside there's so much more bait. Outside, they may not have as much bait passing them by like they do inside. So out there, they're a more aggressive fish. So normally they can see that thing falling down from 50 feet. You know, they, it gets down there. They see it on the way down. They can come from 20 feet if the water's really clear, 20, 40 feet, and come over to it as it's falling down and hit it not long after it hits the bottom. So when I try to find those new places and stuff, I'm just going to just start wherever, whatever looks the best, and just keep keep on moving around with that spot lock and that jog motion. Um, so does the technique change with the spot lock, whether we're, and I'm guessing no, because you've already said you'll have two guys bait fishing, two guys artificial fishing. But does the technique change at all, whether I'm dropping a live bait or I'm dropping an artificial and I'm, I mean, to be a little bit more specific, you're pretty much always on spot lock. You're not really drifting an area or slow drifting an area. You like to anchor up and then target a zone. And then if it works, it works. If not, you move on spot lock and target another zone, whether it's live bait or artificial. Yeah, that's something I like to do mostly. Drifting is great, either with bucktails or live bait. But uh, the one difference is on bucktails, a lot of times you're going to hop it up and jig it and stuff like that. Uh, whereas when I'm live baiting, I'm going to try to keep that weight on the bottom. I may lift it just a couple inches to make sure there's nothing there. And, you know, make sure I got bottom contact because I want to keep that thing on the bottom. That's one of the things that even with a bucktail, you want to make sure it's making bottom contact because if it's not, now a lot of times them fish won't come up. I mean, they will come up some, but they, they it, they'll hit it when it hits the bottom a lot of times. So you just want to maintain bottom contact. Um, but with a bucktail, you're going to jig it up a lot. You're going to jig it up two to three foot, you know, just quick little snatches, you know, jigging it up a foot, two feet, you know, at times. You just change that jigging motion uh, around, whereas with a live bait, the man is doing the work for you. So you don't have to do a lot with him versus the bucktail. The bucktail, you're trying to make them get a reaction strike, really, with the bucktail versus the live bait. Okay, on the live bait, so, you know, this is often how I phrase questions. If I'm on your boat and you're handing me a Carolina rig and I got a finger mullet on it, are your instructions to me to drop it here? You know, like you even said earlier in the podcast, this side of the boat or the other side of the boat? I mean, I guess what I'm really getting at is like, like inshore fishing, am I ever slowly bringing it back to me or am I just dropping it down and letting it sit? You know, what's the best play on, on your boat when it comes to live bait? When I'm when I'm out there, when I'm offshore, it's more vertical. It's just straight vertical fishing. I don't really do a lot of casting out because you end up getting hung up more. Um, unless I do some casting out and dragging it back and working like a bucktail back. Um, but a live bait, I am going pretty much vert fish it straight vertical under the boat, side the boat, whatever. Um, I'm not really going to cast it out very far away from the boat. Because one, you're going to get a lot more hang-ups. I can control getting it unhung and stuff like that if it's more vertical. Um, so inside, you you can cast it. You're going to be casting to the bank and stuff like that unless you're fishing, which here we have the state port. 
So I do a lot of vertical fishing even there with live baiting because it's just way easier, less hangups, and you just keep it in the zone. You let the boat kind of move you around the current, you know, to keep you, you just stay in that strike zone longer versus if you're inside, you're searching for fish a lot of times because they're scattered out more. Whereas out there, they can be concentrated in a very small area, like I said before. So if they're in that concentrated area, you can sit there and catch, you know, 10, 12 fish in one spot and never move. Okay. And so, but if I, you know, kind of anticipated my next question, if you've put a bucktail in my hand, then I might pitch it. I mean, not cast it, but I might pitch it out a little bit and bounce it back to the boat. But I'm, you're not telling me with bucktail, we're just vertical fishing. I am sort of pitching still, it out a little bit. I, I guess I just want to make sure I understand. I, I still, even with the bucktail, I, I, I fish it vertically for me. Um, if you're drifting, like there's a lot of people that will drift the bucktails and stuff. So that's kind of, they're dragging it. Uh, but, and then they'll stop back up when they get hung up and try to, you know, with the big motors and stuff. But for me, it's straight vertical fishing, bucktail or live bait. Um, if I know the area is clean and I can tell people because there I'm using my electrons, if I know the area is clean, bottom more so than, than hangy. If it's not near as hangy, I may tell them to cast it out and work it back. But, you know, let it go to the bottom and work it back a little bit. But that's only if I know they're not likely to get hung up and lose me a, you know, $8 bucktail. So. All right. So as a captain, I'm sure you're you're taking people out often that have little to no fishing background. Um, do you Do you give them any advice for all right, when you get a bite, you know, this is what the bite's going to be. And then this is what I want you to do. If that bite happens, do you have that talk with them or do they ever ask? I do. Um, I have two different ones. Uh, if I'm fishing a bucktail, I'm just going to tell you, if you get a bite, set the hook immediately and set it as hard as you possibly can because you're fishing 50, 60 foot of water. So you, you got to be able to set that hook hard and get it in. And when you get him coming, don't let him stop. Just come with him. Do not give him any slack. Do not let him, you know, don't let him keep the line tight and keep him coming until you get close to the surface. When you keep him, when you get him coming and you can start to see him, then slow down, but keep him tight and keep him down under the water until we get the net under him. Um, as soon as you bring him out of the water, he's going to go crazy. He's probably going to throw the hook. Um, very similar. That's with the bucktail. Mostly the same with live baiting, except sometimes with live bait, I tell them to wait a few seconds to set the hook because they sometimes don't quite get the bait all the way down. Um, I'll tell them to wait a minute unless the fish, there's sometimes the fish are so aggressive, they about jerk the rod, you know, they hit it hard enough and they hook themselves. But a lot of times it's just let them hit it. If they lift up, they feel weight, give it a second, lower the weight back to the bottom. And then if they lift up, they still feel it, set the hook as hard as they can again, and then come up with him. Just keep him coming. Um, if he comes off, you'll know it. And I'll know fairly quickly if it's a flounder, because most of the time when a flounder comes up, he's going to shake his head within about five, ten feet off that bottom. He's going to shake really violently 
and most time that's when they first come off or they're going to keep coming and you just keep them coming until you get close to the surface and you just try to keep them under the surface you don't want to just reel them straight up and out of the water because as soon as they get to that surface they go crazy man uh man i'm enjoying this so i i got i'm just thinking of more questions i can ask you and the one that comes to my mind is how long do you fish a spot before you say this ain't happening we're moving I that that's like any spot you fish anywhere you can if there's a lot of life around you know i may give it a little longer but um I mean, probably if I don't if I don't have a bite within 15 minutes or so, I'm probably already moving and the guys don't even know it. So I'm like, that's the beauty of that spot lock is that I can be moving while people are fishing. They don't even know I'm moving. Uh, So I'm constantly moving probably more than I should. But when I find a fish, when we catch a fish, I'm giving it probably 10 minutes or so or 15. And then I'm thinking I'm already thinking, all right, where should I go next? But um sometimes it's that sometimes it's 30 minutes or an hour just depends on how quick the bites are coming but if they're not coming i'm going to move quick i'm not going i mean most time i'm not trying to waste my clients time i'm trying to put them on fish as soon as possible um in your experience and i'm asking you specifically there about the atlantic beach you know moorhead area are you more apt to find more fish near shore or more fish inshore and then second part is are you more apt to find bigger flounder inshore or bigger flounder near shore i think the near shore bite is easier than the inshore bite um i think the inshore bite can be just as good as the near shore but i think sometimes the near shore if the weather's right you can go out there and it can happen and it's, and it's a lot of fun. You can catch a lot of fish real quick, um, whether they be small or big. And I've caught them, you know, just as big out in the ocean. But 90% of the time, your real big ones are going to be in the inside because it's a different kind of a different species of flood. Because here in North Carolina, we got the three species that, you know, that's the reason why we have this crazy rule we got now with our seasons. Um them southern flounder are just a bigger flounder they get bigger so um i've seen them you know the eight the 13 pounders that we've weighed at the shop have all mostly come inside and not from outside so you can catch a lot of four or five pounders out in the near shore stuff but the really bigger ones i think are more inside well nick man you've been great with sharing information you've been great with my you know answering all my questions um, this is usually the part of the podcast where I finish, you know, well, I got a couple of questions. And the first one is, man, anything else that comes to mind that people should know about nearshore flounder fishing that you haven't told me, I haven't set you up with a question, maybe you thought we'd talk about, but we haven't yet. Any final thoughts on nearshore flounder fishing that might help people out? Um, Not really. I mean, just don't. One of the biggest thing is if don't get frustrated in crowds on these wrecks because I mean they can get crowded very quickly. Um, there's times where these fish will be on very small spots versus a big spot. So if you find one, you get a bite, maybe just sit there and wait 
sometimes you have to wait them out. If you got time, you got patience, you know, you can wait them out. Um, sometimes the tides make a, a difference. You know, they might bite better on a incoming tide versus an outgoing tide. I mean, it, the tides do affect that near shore bite just like they do inside. Um, that'd be the biggest thing is just, you know, pay attention to what you caught them on, what tide was you catching them on one day to the next. If you get to go a couple of days, you caught them, you know, in the middle of the afternoon, you know, what was the tide doing? Um, and you didn't catch them that morning. It could be that tide could make a big difference. Um, the other thing, tell um, Billy, there's nothing wrong with hot grease. Fried flounder is about as good as it gets. <laughs> Man, I'm glad. I, you know, I was thinking, am I really going to humor Billy and ask a, a cook question? And I'm glad you took it the the decision out of my hands and you went ahead and, you know, were proactive on that. I'm glad you did that. Um, and I, I was thinking the same thing, man. I mean, I've got kids that they eat fried fish. They kind of weigh in on other fish, but they'll eat fried fish. So we've been a fried fish household for a number of years now, man. I, my final I question mean, is you can do what you want with them, but I mean, fried, fried flounder, fresh fried flounder is about as good as it gets. So they're way better. <laughs> fresh than they are any other way but they they are a great fish that's for sure man uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap this podcast up at least our conversation by saying hey you know tell everyone just a little bit about the chase and tails charter fleet tell everyone a little bit about the chase and tails tackle shop i mean i don't mean long-winded for those people that don't know let them know that resource that the lamb family has put together there on the causeway in atlantic beach yeah, um, guys, I mean, Chasing Tails has been in business for 15 years or better, something like that now. But they they will help you any way you can. We can, you know, rod, reel, tackle, bait. Uh, we just stocked up on live mullet re ready for the uh, flounder season. We're going to try to keep, keep them stocked up all flounder season. Um, but, yeah, and then the charters, guys, I mean, if you want a charter, it's, just give us a call, book trip. I'll be more glad to take you out there half day, full day. I don't care. We go catch whatever bites. I, that's the way I am. I just like to go fishing and put people on what we have, the resources we have here. And uh, Matt and him's done a great job there. So come by and visit us. All right. Captain Nick Nance, Chasing Tails Outdoors. Man, thank you so much for making time available. Thank you very much for sharing. I've enjoyed this conversation and look forward to the next time we cross paths. Uh, thank you, guys. All right. Well, Billy, don't you tell me fried flounder is your best takeaway. I'm not going to let you get out that easy. You got to come up with something else. Then don't be scared of the grease. Captain Nick surprised me. I thought he was going to say uh, curry, you know, over a bed of rice or something. Did you? you? Know? I mean, Did yeah, you really? That's what I thought. I thought that's what he was doing. I thought that's where he's going to go. He seemed like the curry kind of guy, but you know, whatever. Uh, man, a lot of great information. But I tell you one thing that I did kind of take away that I loved, you know, he kind of kept coming back to was – you know, I think a lot of people listen to podcasts or they listen to, to, you know, our YouTube channel or whatever, and they're looking for that one little secret recipe or like one little trick or one little thing to give them success. Well, this dude just goes and fishes, which I thought was like, you know, it's like the ver one, the vertical on the live bait and the vertical on the, um, you know, just the vertical style fishing kind of like surprised me a little bit. I was like, okay, I never really thought about just drop, you know, getting positioned right and just dropping bait where you're at. 
Um, I'm always like, oh, I guess maybe because I don't have a boat, so I'm always just casting as far as I can, <laughs> as I can possibly cast. Um, so I thought that was a pretty good takeaway, like just fish vertical and, you know, if you don't, I mean, just fish though. It's like, it seems like this is what he was kind of saying through the whole thing was like, dude, just get out there and, and give it a just shot. Do if it, it ain't working, do you something Put else. a bait on the bottom, yeah. put a gulp on the bottom. Just, you know, you got to be fishing. I'll tell you my favorite yeah. answer is when I asked him, are you more confident with a wreck? Are you more confident with live hard bottom? Are you more confident with ledges? And man, he didn't blink and said, well, I'm confident wherever I go. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. all right, I'm booking Nick. I want to go fishing with Nick. I want to go fishing with a guy that's confident no matter where he goes. Like that's, that's the attitude I want on the boat. Yeah, man. I, I, yeah. That's what I kind of loved about it. I was like, yeah, you, you get out of it what you put into it. And so it seems like he's just putting it all out there and, and figuring it out. Kind of by the moment almost. So, yeah, don't be scared to try something, I guess. It's my biggest takeaway. Well, awesome, man. Well, strong episode, man. People love flounder. They love flounder. Go go up there and see Matt. Dude, that lamb lamb segment had me rolling over here, dude. Cause I, cause I, you know, I'm, I don't know Matt on a friend level, but I know Matt from a professional business level. And, uh, I was like, he's going to enjoy that. If he listens to it, he'll enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if he watches the podcast, listens to the podcast. Well, I think it was, if I make him part of this podcast and I'm forcing him to at least listen to, and watch some of it, right? Like I'm going to make that guy watch some of this. I mean, that was what I was thinking. I, I enjoy that bit. I, I patted myself on the back a little bit. I'll, yeah. I'll admit Dude, he might like it so much, Gary, that Chase and Tails ends up down here on the bottom of this lineup. I'll have to call and do a follow-up after this episode goes live. All right. <laughs> All Maybe right. we get Nick. Maybe Nick can okay that. We might not even talk to Matt. Maybe we can just get Nick to sign off on that uh, contract. Yeah, yeah, we'll just do it. We'll just do it right here before we, we get him off here. <laughs> He'll figure, Matt will figure out on Monday morning. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> well, appreciate our, our current sponsors, Marine Warehouse Center and SRD20.com. Go check those guys out uh, if you're in the in the market for a boat or boat repair um, or tackle here in the Wilmington area. Marine Warehouse will take care of you. And then also SRD20 for all your boating to keep take care of your boat, to clean your boat, all your tools and things you need there. So go check those guys out. Gary, anything else before we leave? No, man. Like Nick tells you, just go out and do it. Don't overthink it. Just do it. Just do it. That's old. Nike's going to come after us for that one. All right, we'll see you in the next one. Fisherman's boat.